1: Well, I want to welcome those who are joining us online. I know we got people from all over the world that tune in every week. So it's great to have you and great to have you guys here this morning. Uh, For those who don't know me, I'm Pastor Ross and I'm one of the the pastors here. And um, you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16 for the first time uh, as we're continuing our study in the life of Abraham. Yeah, we were in 15 for uh, for a long time, for a number of weeks, uh, because we we saw the importance of that chapter. That that chapter is a a pivotal moment in all of humanity, in the history of humanity, because that was the moment that God entered into a covenant with Abram. And that covenant wasn't only with Abram, but meant for the seed of Abram, which was Jesus Christ. And we all benefit now, we've all entered into that same Abram covenant, uh, which we know as the new covenant. And so last week we, we spent some time comparing the old covenant with the new covenant. We saw how the old covenant is one of a, you shall, you shall follow the rules. You shall do this. You shall do that. Where the weight and the responsibility is on who it's on us. You have to be perfect. And if you are perfect, then you get all the blessings. But if you fail in any way, you get all the curses. And that's the old covenant. It's a performance based covenant. But the new covenant we saw is an, I will, where God is speaking. And God says, I will do this. I will do that. And and the burden of responsibility now has changed. It's on to him. And we looked at an Old Testament passage in in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 28. And the, I will, I will wash you clean. I I will forgive you all your sins, all your past sins and all your future sins. All of them are addressed and gone dealt with, wash clean, hallelujah. And then he says, not only that, I will remove your old heart. I'll remove your old spirit. And that's the part that much of the church has missed, that that you're not just washed clean, now go out and try again, but be more serious about it this time. He's actually transformed to you and I are. We've become new creations because of what God did in the cross. And we were crucified with Christ. Amazing, the old you, the sinner, the person you were when you arrived here on planet earth was crucified and buried and no longer exists. You're a new person, a new Neil, a new Christian, right? A new person altogether. And now with that new life, you are qualified to hold or house the Holy Spirit who now comes to live inside you. So we got a great verse, Galatians 2.20, right? That summarizes all of this. I have been crucified with Christ and I, the old me no longer lives, but Christ himself. Christ lives in me. And the life I live today, I live by faith, by trusting. And so you see the reality is it's, it's this idea here that I want us to, to focus in on is Jesus's job to live the Christian life. It's not my job, it's, it's Jesus's job. Because quite frankly, he's the only one that can. Think about it this way. Suppose Craig writes a book about himself and I get a hold of this book and I read the book and I study the book and I go, wow, I like how Craig lives. He's a smart guy, likes numbers, jerseys, must be a good guy. And so, so I, I endeavor now to live like Craig. I endeavor to imitate Craig. I get a little bracelet, WWCD, what would Craig do? And I now think, what would Craig do? And I try to do what Craig would do. Well, who could live the better Craig life, me or Craig? Why? It's his life. He's the only one that can live the Craig life. All I'm doing is I'm, in, I'm an imposter. I'm not actually him. Well, who, when it comes to the Christian life, what makes us think that we could do that? What makes us think that we could be God or live like God? We can't. Instead, only God, only Jesus Christ can live the Christian life. And the good news is he's in you to do that. He's placed his spirit in you to cause us, we saw, to make us follow in his ordinances by giving us the desire and the the will and the strength and the power. All he asks of us is to trust him with that. So uh, let me read to you from Philippians. You don't have to turn there, but Philippians chapter two, verses 12 to 13. And I think this is such a key passage, key understanding. Robin actually touched on this a number of weeks ago in his great message, verse 12. So then my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not only as in my presence, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We read that verse when they go, okay, I gotta get serious. I gotta gotta buckle down and I gotta pull up my bootstraps and I gotta get serious. I gotta try harder, but we don't read the next verse. And the next verse is the key. Working out your salvation isn't about you because he goes on in verse 13, for, it's a connecting word. Keep reading. For it is God who is in you both to will, sorry, who is in you, at, who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the working out your salvation, the squeezing it out, the bringing it out is bringing Jesus to the forefront who's in you both to, to will choose a path to lead us, to guide us, to command us, but then also now to work it out, to make it happen in us. And so we often ask them, well, what's, what's my part in all this? And, and thankfully that's a question that they asked Jesus. In John chapter six, when Jesus was preaching, they asked him, well, what's our part? What must we do to do the works of God? How many times have you wondered that? How do I live the Christian life? Good news, we got an answer for you. John 6, 28 and 29. What must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus says, this is it, that you believe, that you trust, that you walk by faith. Believe in the one whom God has sent. Trust me, Jesus is saying. And so that's what it means to to walk according to the spirit. That's what it means to abide. We sang that this morning. Abide teaches to abide in Him. What it means is to trust Him, to learn to rely upon His strength and His power. And the reality is, it's the byproduct of setting our minds. It's the byproduct of where our mind is set on. So Romans eight talks about this: that those who are walking according to the Spirit are doing so because they've set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And so that's what it is: our our mind, our heart, our attitude is. Aim towards Him, we're looking to Jesus, and so what that means is is we're inviting Jesus to speak to us. And so, too often, what we do is we we pray, we say, "God, what must I do right now?" And then we kind of turn our back and we walk away. We don't give Him a chance to answer. We're not. We're just kind of checking a box. I prayed, and off I went, but we didn't actually pause long enough to go, "God, what is it You want to say?" And to wait. And so that's what we need to do to, to wait and hear from him. And so we do that through prayer. We do that by, by just turning our eyes towards him. And then whatever he tells us to do, we become obedient to. We step out in faith and we say, okay, God, I believe this is what you're asking of me. I'm going to trust you now in this moment. And I'm going I'm to let you live through me, let you minister through me. And so sometimes there's something specific he tells us to do. Sometimes there's something specific that he asks us not to do. And then other times he gives us a choice and he allows us to, and he'll say to us, what do you want to do? What do you desire to do? But maybe the hardest response is when we don't get a response. When it's just crickets, just silence. And in those, those situations, we have to do one of the hardest things within all of Christianity, we wait. It's a four letter word of Christianity right there. Let me tell you, right? We don't like to wait, especially in our society, right? I mean, think about it. If you're, if you're watching you know, Netflix or, or something on TV and you get the little buffering, how's that feel? For three seconds and you're like, oh my goodness, this is horrible right? Or you start downloading a web page and it's just buffering. Like, come on, for like three, five seconds. It's the hardest thing for us to do is to wait. And yet that's what God asks us many times is to wait because sometimes his timeline is not our timeline. Sometimes there are things that he needs to do in us or in other people before he shows us what we need to do. Or sometimes his plan is not his plan altogether. And so the mistake we make at this moment is we think rather than waiting, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to take charge. I'm going to take control of all this and I'm going to do my best and God will bless the rest. Which is a great verse in third opinions, by the way. Not a verse, right? He's not asking you to do your best for him, right? He's asking us to trust him instead but when we try to take things into our own hands, the Bible has a term for this. It's called living according to the flesh, living according to your own self effort. See this word, the flesh in the new Testament, the Greek word is sarx. And sometimes it means physical body and the context will let you know, but often it's talking about a way of living, a way of of going through life where you're trying to do it in your own strength and your own wisdom what seems right to you in your own power. It's doing your best to meet your needs. It's doing your best to, to protect yourself, to to accomplish your own goals. Even if those goals are doing it for God. But the key is you're doing it all independent of God. You're doing it all in your own power and your own strength. Now, sometimes it's immoral. Sometimes it's it, uh, protecting ourselves, we lie. Where someone asks us a question, we don't want to admit to it. So we, we, we either shade the truth, we leave out parts of the truth, or we just flat out tell a deception. And so we lie. Or, or maybe, maybe trying to, to satisfy our needs, we begin to look outside of, of healthy relationships and towards immoral relations, illicit relationships, right? Whether it be pornography or, or cheating on a, on a spouse or, or a partner of some sort. And, or maybe it's just rebelling against authority where I think I know better and therefore I'm going to ignore what my authority has told me. And I'm going to live that way. Right. I mean that it's easy to spot those. In fact, Galatians five tells us a whole list of what the flesh looks like and the deeds of the flesh, right? In verses 19 to 21 outbursts of anger and envy and jealousy. And, and, and um, I'm not going to say country music cause they I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I can grow a mature. All right. <laughs> However, that's not the only way that the flesh looks. It's easy to spot when it's immoral, but there's a whole moral side of the flesh. Think back to the tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the flesh tree. And yes, sometimes it looks evil, lying and cheating and stealing and and uh, being promiscuous and so forth. But sometimes it looks really good. So you think about the Pharisees. They followed the law to a T. They did everything right. Even Jesus recognized that because he said, you're whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. And so those Pharisees doing it for God, following the rules, being religious, it wasn't good enough because it's not about the behavior. It's not about what you're doing, but who's doing it. It's not about the, the product, but the source. That's what matters. See, think about it. If, if you have a, a manufactured plastic apple, that looks beautiful. I mean, the artist, the, the handiwork to make that is incredible. And then you have a real apple, which one's better? On the outside, the plastic apple might even look better, but you take a bite of both and you'll find out which one has life and which one has death pretty quickly. And so it's the source inside that counts, not the, not the behavior, not the outside of that. <clears throat> and the reality is no matter how good the flesh looks, it's never good. Jesus says in John 6, 63, that the flesh profits nothing, only the spirit can give life. Now, I wish that as believers, we were immune to the flesh, but that's not the case. See, as unbelievers, all they can do is live according to the flesh, which is why they cannot please God. It's impossible for them to. But you and I, we now have a choice. Each day, each moment, really, we can choose. Do I trust in the flesh? Do I walk according to the flesh? Do I set my mind on the things of the flesh? The things of this world and my goals and my my desires and protecting myself or or other people, but, but all independent of God. And then I'll walk after the flesh. Or do I set my mind on the things of the spirit? God, what are you up to? What are you wanting to do right now? How are you wanting to love me, protect me, meet my needs, serve other people? How do I lay my life down for others? What do you want to do? Okay, God, let's do it together. Walk according to the spirit. And so what we want to see this morning is is a, a, a part of the story of Abram and, and Sarai, and we're gonna be a new character, Hagar. And, and we're gonna really focus in on their failures, sadly. We're gonna focus on how they lived according to the flesh that we might learn not to make that same mistake. But I want you to notice here that this is a moment where the three of them, they, were, they weren't trying to live in an immoral way. They're actually trying to do the will of God. They just didn't include God in it. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus. We're calling upon your strength, calling upon your power, we're calling upon your wisdom because what we want to discover is life and life in you and how we live it and how we experience it. And so Lord Jesus, teach us. Be the one to, to be the teacher this morning. Take, take what words that are said through me, somehow make them make sense teaching every one of us so we might know you and trust you in greater ways. In your name we pray, amen. All right. As we're going to read through this story here in Genesis 16, we're going to, we're going to discover three characters, 2 you we've already met, Abram and Sarai, and we're going to meet a new character named Hagar. And again, pointing out their, their fleshly actions here is so that we can learn from them, right? Please understand that in no way am I looking down upon them because I've made these mistakes, maybe not the same exact mistakes, but the form of the mistake of taking matters into my own hands, I've made countless times. And so, we're not trying to beat them up. We're just simply trying to observe and learn from their from their mistakes. So, in Genesis sixteen verses one to four, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, "Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid; perhaps I will obtain children through her." And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she she saw that she conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. All right. Please understand the sin here was not that Abram slept with Hagar. I know that might seem odd for us, but we have to understand the culture and how things worked back then. And part of the culture was, was some of the roles between men and women and whether you like it or not, it, it was reality, right? These are simply the facts, no cap, right? (laughs) Sorry, Zoe. So every so often you got to embarrass your kids, right? That's, that's why I'm up here. So, um, so what would happen is that the husband, the man, his role was to lead, to protect, to provide. And the woman's role was to bear children and then to look after the household and raising those kids. That was their roles primarily. And what would happen is from time to time, a woman could not conceive. She was not able to. And so what they would do at that point is the woman whether out of obligation or whether it was by her own choice, she would choose another woman to be a wife or a concubine for her husband. Often she would choose her maidservant. And so she would choose her maidservant and offer this woman again, as a wife or as a concubine to her husband so that he would sleep with her so that she would, so that he would impregnate her with the goal that they, the original wife and husband would have a child through this other woman. So it's like surrogacy, basically. Except they didn't have the technology that we have today. So they had to do it the old fashioned way. So that in itself wasn't sin. It, the, the issue was that nowhere in those four verses do we see them inquiring of the Lord. Instead, what we see here was them simply taking matters into their own hands. See, up to this point, Abram's 85 years old. Sarai's 75 years old she's likely entered into post-menopause, right? She's likely realized, you know what? If it ain't happened yet, it ain't happening because I'm pretty sure we're doing it right. So that's not happening, right? So she's kind of realized it's not going to come through me. But she's also remembering what God promised Abram, right? God promised Abram an heir. And Abram thought, okay, Lot's going to be my heir because he's my nephew. And I've kind of adopted him as a son. And God says, it's not going to be Lot going to of your own household so then abram thought okay i'll be a slave a servant that was born in my household eliezer you won the lottery you're going to be the master of all this one day what did god say not going to happen it's not going to come through just someone in your household he's going to be born of your loins <clears throat> he's going to be your actual son your own your own flesh and blood and so God says, sorry, Elie, easy, easy come, easy go, it's gone. Uh, and so he's going to have a son. And so Sarai's thinking, well, maybe this was God's plan. That Abram's going to have a son, just not through me. So why don't you go and sleep with Hagar, my maidservant, thereby fulfilling God's will. Do you see their heart? Again, they weren't, they weren't looking. Abram wasn't looking to cheat on Sarai. He deeply loved her. No question in my mind. Wasn't looking to step out on her. But what she wanted, she wanted a, a child. How could she not? So much of her identity, so much of her worth would be wrapped up in the ability to have a child. And so she was impatient. See, let's take a look at, at, her, or at Sarah's flesh, Sarah's flesh to start with, right? Her worth, her identity, her significance is wrapped up in her ability to have children and raise them. And so to be 75 years old and not have a child, what are you? You're a failure. Now the world, maybe friends, no, no, it's okay. There's lots of other things you've tried that you can't do that. doesn't matter. She feels like a failure. In fact, she even recognizes that God has closed my womb. Can't happen. Not in the cards for me. Maybe here's another way. And so she's taking control because of the impatience in her own life. She's taking matters into her own hands. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to do it for God even. Throw that that good God label on top of it, but I'm not going to actually inquire of him. And so she comes up with it on her own way. So, so much of Genesis 16 reminds me of Genesis three, right? That's the story of the fall in the garden. And, and remember that tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the no, no tree. The God that the tree that God didn't want them to eat from. I don't, I don't believe that God wanted Adam and Eve to be ignorant their entire existence. I don't think God's against knowledge. Please understand. I think God wanted to be the one that taught them. I think God wanted to be the one to impart upon them what's good and what's evil. Because let me, let me be the one to teach you. But then there's Eve and she's looking at the tree and she goes, you know what? I'll be smarter if I eat of that tree. I'll be wiser. I'll be like God. And she takes matters into her own hands because she wasn't willing to be patient and wait for God. And so she rushed ahead and she did it her own way. again, you can make the argument that Sarai was just simply doing what was demanded of her by the culture and what was expected of her. But remember, we don't follow culture. We don't follow the norms and expectations of culture. Who do we follow? We follow God. And again, nowhere in this, this whole story do we see them inquiring of God. In fact, in verse two, and we're gonna to get to Abram in a moment here, so just make sure we're not only focused on Sarai's flesh, but it says in verse two that Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Again, so much like Genesis three, where Adam didn't listen to God, but chose Eve over God. Now that doesn't mean that Abram doesn't listen to his wife and ought to ignore his wife. You rebellious little woman. That's not it, right? He should have heard her out. That's the plan. Okay. Well, Checks all the right boxes. It's, it's what's normal, what's expected. That's what we ought to do at this point. Before we say, yes, Sarah, let's inquire of the Lord. Let's see what he says. That's what Abram should have done, but he doesn't. And so what ends up happening now is they've taken matters in their own hand. They're walking according to the flesh. And there's a result of that, right? The wages of sin is death. You know, we've, we've raised our kids on many mottos, many mantras and one of them is life is about choices and choices have consequences. So make good choices, right? Every choice we make has an outcome, one or the other, good or bad. And every time we trust the flesh, every time we walk according to the flesh, I promise you the outcome is death. That doesn't mean that you're going to physically die maybe, but it's more of an experience of death in our souls, despair, an emptiness, a frustration, a maybe depression or, or fear or anxiety or just emptiness. We're experiencing death. That's how you know you're walking after the flesh because you're experiencing the death, the results of that. And that ought to be a clue that says, wait a minute, let's let's return to setting our mind on Jesus. Let's go back to listening to him instead. <clears throat> so in Genesis 16, verse four, says Abram went into Hagar, right? He ends up sleeping with Hagar and she conceived and when she saw that she conceived her mistress that Sarai was despised in her in Hagar's sight. Well, let's let's take a look at Hagar's flesh now. Right? So Sarai's flesh was impatience, was control, was trying to meet her own needs her own way, but Hagar, we see pride. We see ambition. Right? We see arrogance. Because what she wanted is she wanted to be the mistress. She wanted to be the, the number one woman in the household. And so now that she's pregnant, she's looking down on Sarai going, well, you know, I guess I'm the better woman between the two of us. And therefore I ought to have your role and you ought to have mine. And so, so Hagar's trying to supplant Sarai. See, that wasn't the, the purpose. The, the goal was that Hagar would produce a child that would belong to Abram and Sarai. But she saw an opportunity to lift herself out of being down on the rungs, being the maidservant, and being the mistress instead. So in verses five and six of Genesis chapter sixteen, you know, experiencing all this venom from Hagar, Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your maid is in your power. Do what is, what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly and she fled from her presence. Notice again, we're gonna look more at Sarai's flesh here, right? What does she do? When it doesn't go her way, when it didn't happen the way she thought, what does she do? This is your fault. I mean, it was her idea. She chose the woman, but it's Abram's fault. You know, she's not entirely wrong. She's not entirely wrong. Now she's wrong in the sense that she's playing a victim and she's blaming Abram for her own choices. That's wrong. But the reality is Abram's the head. Abram leaves the household. And Abram said, yes. And therefore he failed. He failed to protect Sarai. He failed to inquire of the Lord. So she's not entirely wrong. She's just simply not taking any responsibility for her own actions. And so she becomes cruel. She becomes bitter. See, Abram doesn't, he's still failing. He doesn't protect Hagar or the unborn child or anything like that. He just, it's yours, your responsibility. I'm washing my hands of this. I have no part in this. And so now it's Sarai. She's like, great. She's my maidservant and I'm going to make her pay. And all that bitterness, all that envy, all that jealousy. See, ironically, Hagar wanted what Sarai had. She was the head mistress, the head woman in the household. But Sarai wanted what Hagar had, to be pregnant, to have a child. And so the envy and the jealousy and the bickering just are going at it. Now, I know you're going to have to imagine what it would be like for two women to hate each other and go at it. So just imagine that happening from time to time, right? I mean, essentially it's like a reality TV show here, right? Where the women are just going at each other and, and it's so miserable. She's so mean, Sarah is, to Hagar, that Hagar flees, that she runs away. Now again, just so we're clear, Abram's not off the hook on this. See, Abram's sin in all this is his passivity. That's why it reminds you so much of Genesis three. See, when, when Satan is tempting Eve, where's Abram? Where's Adam? He's right there. He's not off in the woods. He's, he's not, you know, building a fire somewhere or fishing or having a swim or he is right there. And we, we know that because after Eve ate, Eats, she gives some fruit to her husband and he ate as well. And his failure was passivity. His failure wasn't, was he failed to protect Eve. Should have said something. Eve, don't do it. Get out of here, serpent. We're not listening to you. We're listening to God. But his silence, his passivity failed to protect Eve and plunged humanity into sin. And Abramson here, Failed to protect Sarai, but failed to protect his household. And, and it all falls apart now. And he's he's simply doing it, A, to please his wife, because he doesn't want to offend her. And two, probably again, doing it for God. Well, that, that sounds good. Like we could do, we could do God's will. The problem is it's on their timetable and their way, independent of God. Well, what's the result of all this flesh? this pregnant woman leaves the safety and the comfort of the tents that she has with Abram and Sarai and the household there. And she runs into the wilderness, the way to Shur, which is towards Egypt. Now Hagar, just so we know she's an Egyptian slave. She likely was given to Abram when he went down to Egypt in Genesis 12. Remember that part of the story, right? There's a famine, great famine. Again, he didn't inquire the Lord. So he goes down to Egypt to look after himself. And then while he's there, he's panicking over Sarai and her beauty. And so he lied, kept out some of the, the truth, right? She's just my sister. Pharaoh takes her into the, into the court, into his household, into his harem and gives to Uh, to Abram, a bunch of servants, male and female. And that's likely where they acquired Hagar. And so when she's going towards Shur, she's going towards Egypt. She's probably just going home. She doesn't know what else to do. But again, how bad must it have been that it'd be better to live in the wilderness than to face Sarai's wrath and anger. Cause there's no, there's no woman's shelter for her to go. No friends to stay at. She's completely taken a chance. She's all alone. Imagine the fear. I don't know what do what i gonna do. How am I gonna take care of this child? What, what, what's gonna happen next? How do I explain this to people? She didn't ask for this by the way. She didn't, she didn't volunteer. She was voluntold. She didn't ask to be pregnant. The anxiety of this must've been so high. Verse seven now of Genesis 16. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur, that's towards Egypt. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. By the way, the angel of the Lord here is, is Jesus. Often when you read the angel of the Lord, if it's a angel of the Lord, it's just, it's Gabriel, it's Michael, it's it's another angel. But when it's the angel of the Lord, it's Jesus himself coming. So God, Jesus arrives and he sees Hagar just sitting there alone, fearful, full of anxiety. And he asks her two questions. Now, let me back up for a second. Cause it says he found her. Oh, that's a good word, right? Hagar wasn't looking for him. Hagar wasn't calling out to him. God found her in her empty, miserable spot, in her biggest point of desperation. God go get, God go gets her. He finds her and he asks her two questions. Where are you coming from and where are you going? Where are you coming from? I care about your past, God says, because your past matters. Your past has influenced and shaped who you are today. It's influenced your decisions and how you live and how you act. I care about that, but where are you going? I care about your future. I care about what's next and the choices you make today. Where are you coming from? Where are you going? And her answer is interesting because she only simply says, I'm running away. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. I just, I don't want to be around her. She's got no plan other than get away. That's it. It's like, if you encounter a bear, what's the plan? Run, right? Like, assuming it's not like you got to, you know, raise your hand, make noise. Like if it's charging at you, plan is run. Which direction? away from the bear, right? That's like, well, where to next? Doesn't matter, away from the bear, right? You really have no plan. That's Hagar at this moment. I'm dying at home, so I got to run. And what does God say to her? He says to her in verse nine, return to your mistress, return to Sarai and submit yourself to her authority. Now, please understand, this this is not a approval in any way of Sarai's behavior. That's not it. Instead, what this is, is God recognizing the authority and saying to Hagar, you need to go back and honor that authority. So you need to return, you need to submit because the reality is, yes, Sarai is wrong, but so's Hagar, her pride her ambition, her arrogance, the cruelty she bestowed upon Sarai was wrong. And you need to honor that authority. And so I'm not speaking to you about Sarai's flesh. He says to Hagar, I want to speak to you about yours, what you're doing wrong and what you need to do. And you need to honor that authority. You need to do what's right. Because the reality is rebellion is simply not God's way. So she needs to repent of her actions of trying to supplant Sarai. Because again, that was never God's plan, but God's not done, right? The angel of the Lord is going to care for Hagar and this child. In fact, he's going to promise to bless him and that there's a whole future for the two of them. So beginning in verse 10, he goes, moreover, The angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that there will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with a child and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. For she said, I've I have I've even remained alive here after seeing him. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahi Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Barat. So Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. So what happens? She returns the new attitude no longer angry, no longer trying to supplant uh, Sarai. And she informs Abram of what God tells her. We know that because Abram accepts Ishmael as his own son. We're going to see that even more so as the story goes on, but he clearly names the baby Ishmael as God asked him to. And Abram is going to believe that this is going to be the promised son, the heir. But here's, what's interesting. Scripture makes it clear that it was Hagar that bore the son, that this is Hagar's son, not Sarai's. Remember what the original plan was? Sleep with my maidservant that I may have a child. Sarai was so bitter, so hurt, she couldn't accept the child. She rejects the child. And so at the end of the day, she doesn't get the child that she wanted. And so there's just more despair, more frustration. So much for us to learn here. The consequences of what happens when we live according to the flesh. When we take matters into our own hands and when instead of waiting upon God, we will produce an Ishmael. Let me under, let's me let understand Ishmael and who he is. Um, this man, Ishmael, we read later on, he goes on and he, he marries an Egyptian woman and together they have 12 sons and, and one daughter, tells us. May have had more daughters, but we know of one at least And these 12 sons. And each of these 12 sons goes on to lead, be the head of massive families, massive tribes. So much so that each of these 12 sons are called princes. And so they, they clearly are powerful tribes that are growing. And they begin to intermarry with the Edomites and the Amalekites. And today we know these these group, the descendants of Ishmael as the Arabs. In fact, the, the prophet Muhammad boasted about being a direct descendant of the second son of Ishmael. And so many of the Arabs, if not almost all of them today, are descendants of Ishmael, which happens to be the biggest enemy of the Jews today. Fulfilling the prophecy. Now that, that first comment that God says, he'll be a wild donkey of a man. We, we, might, we could interpret that in English and going, wow, like they just bite and they kick and they're stubborn and they're arrogant. I don't think that's actually what was intended by that phrase, wild donkey, but rather that they were to be nomads, that they were to wander. And that's what we see with Ishmael and stuff. They were known to just to wander, to travel around. But then it goes on to say, but they will be against their brothers and their brothers will be against them. That constant strife, that constant fighting. And today, thousands of years later, the Jews and the Arabs are still at war. And there won't, there won't be peace. Sadly, there won't be peace. There may be a time where we seem to have peace, but they're constantly will be at war with one another because that's what God prophesied. And there was again, why, are, why is that there? Why are the Jews struggling today? Because Abram wasn't patient. He chose to take matters in his own hands and he produced an Ishmael. And the same could be true for us. That if we, if we choose not to wait upon God, if we choose not to do it his way in his timing and be obedient to him. We may choose things that end up hurting us. what sin does it hurts us more than anyone else so we want to wait on God even though that's hard even though it's difficult whether that be you know who do I date who do I marry what school do I go to What job do I take do I take this job or go that go to, to this job do I do I move cities do I what do we do God all he's asking is let me be a part of that decision speak to me ask me and I'll tell you, is it go left, go right? Or at times I'll say, what do you want to do? But inquire the Lord. Let's, let's close with the verse that we started with now in Philippians chapter two, verses 12 and 13. So then my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Take it seriously. It matters for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. If God reveals the plan, be obedient. When? Right now. And he hasn't revealed the plan then what he's saying to you is to wait. Sometimes he's already revealed the plan to us and we don't have to ask the question. For example, As a husband, he's given me a command, standing orders, I like to call them. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I don't have to ask God, God, do you want me to love joy today? I already know the answer. The answer is yes. And the same is true with your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do I have to love my neighbor, God? What's the answer? Do I have to love myself? Yes, absolutely. Do I have to love you? Yes. Those are the standing orders, the standing commands. The question is how? How do I love joy? How do I love my kids? How do I love my friends? How do I love my enemies? How do I love the people at Costco? That's the hardest one, right? How do I do that? Well, God, I'm going to trust you because you're in me, both to will, love them, and to do it. And here's how. So we're going to trust them to pull that off. And if he hasn't revealed a plan, then wait. It's okay to wait. It's okay to trust him. God's timing is perfect and his plan is perfect as well. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for your life and your love and the fact that you haven't abandoned us to try to figure this out on our own. It's not our job to try to, to live this, this Christian life in our own strength, and our own terms, but rather Lord, to trust you. And so I pray each and every one of us would set our minds on you. We'd turn to you, trust you, listen to you and be obedient to you. That you may be God in us and through us and thereby being glorified. Because quite frankly, apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, we cannot glorify you. Only you can bring glory to yourself. May you do that through us. In your name we pray, amen.
0: all donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.